Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for June 26, 2022. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Join me as always. Welcome, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right. Um, exciting show tonight. Uh, in about 20 minutes, we have our guest coming on the show uh, from South Carolina, our Palmetto State political expert, Lachlan McIntosh, is going to join us. And so um, we'll discuss, you know, all the races there, maybe some national issues and how that's playing in South Carolina as well. Um, but until then, we've got plenty to discuss. And here's the thing. We had started kind of mapping out the show prior to Friday morning. And then, of course, one of the biggest uh, political decisions, one of the biggest Supreme Court rulings um, in history, you know, came down, and that has just taken up all of the attention in the political world. So we're going to start right off there. And luckily, I think we have someone who's a real expert who's on our show regarding these issues. And so, Catherine, I could set this up more, but I think everybody knows it's the the um, decision on Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs opinion, I guess, or the Dobbs case, I guess they're calling it. Set it up a little more and then give us some of your initial thoughts. Well, this is the case that started in Mississippi, uh, the Jackson Women's Health Organization versus Dobbs, and uh, it it was really lined up, meant to go to the Supreme Court. That was the whole intention of the um, lawsuit. And they got it to the Supreme Court, and we've been waiting now for quite a while. It's been talked about a lot. We had, of course, we had a leak about, I guess, about six weeks ago. I think a leak of a draft decision, but uh, the official decision came out on Friday, overturning Roe v. Wade, which puts the decision about abortion care in the hands of the state. Uh, it outlaws it outlaws it federally, or, or I don't know if that's actually accurate, but in any event, it puts the it puts the responsibility for abortion care in the states. Right now, I think there's 26 states that have either out outright outlawed abortion care, or are have laws on the books that will outlaw it shortly. Um, and then, so there's 24 states that um, have not done so, but it's in all likelihood some of those states, when they when their legislatures meet again, will probably pass some laws. So, uh, predominantly so- southern states and the middle of the country is where outlaw where abortion is banned. Um, in Georgia, it's still safe and legal to get an abortion, but Mississippi, Alabama. Uh, Kentucky, I think, all are what we call trigger states. There's where we yeah. Stand. There's kind of some anom- 
you know, there's some anomaly states in there, like apparently there was a Wisconsin law that had been on the books prior to 1973 that bans abortion in Wisconsin, but then there was a law on the books in Kansas that protects it, or there was no law whatsoever, so it's protected in some way. But we'll talk about a possible referendum either tonight or in time. Uh, but, Catherine, when I first heard about it, I heard um, 6-3 and I heard 5-4, uh, and then I read more about Chief Justice John Roberts and his ruling, and it almost sounds like it's, for lack of a better math, 5-3-1. Um, uh, like he actually didn't rule in favor of, you know, completely getting rid of Roe v. Wade, but he certainly didn't rule with the other three justices, particularly on the Dobbs case. What's your understanding of where Justice Roberts actually came down on this? To be honest, I haven't read the decisions, read the um, read either the dissents or the um, concurring decisions. Um, I don't like to talk about my job on Cousy Vine, but uh, we were very uh, focused on taking care of patients on Friday, and uh, I was tied up with email most of yesterday and today. So um, I had to take care of uh, the most important things uh, first, and when I have a chance, I'll, I'll have to read Roberts. I did see a headline about Roberts, but I, I, I apologize. I have not delved into it as much as I probably should have at this point. Yes, and then we'll get back into that. And, Catherine, I also want to get into the what this means – for people and put aside the politics, and then also we'll make it to the politics as well. But, Tim, I will pull you in here since you really um, do deep research on so many things. If you can answer any of those questions I postulated or you want to give your thoughts, go ahead. Well, you know, you were talking about Clarence Thomas and um, his concurring uh, statement. Um, with his statement, um, on revisiting some former decisions, he basically invited challenges to both rulings on contraception and on same-sex marriage. Now, he did do that. And uh, someone's going to take that up, and it's, gonna, it's coming. So people, yep. people don't need to think it's going to stop right there because because it's not. There, there's there's going to be some other stuff coming. Uh, th- this was just the first major salvo that came. Um, and the way the court system's set up right now, uh, those challenges can make it all the way to the Supreme Court pretty easily. And... Uh, I, I fear that, uh, you know, Roberts has lost control of the court. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, uh, you know, Clarence Thomas has his career-defining opinion right there, you know, what he wanted. Um, so so there's that. I, I, I know that much, or I think that much. Yeah, I think people do see that, that this may not be the last decision that this court makes because, you know, Justice Katanji Brown comes on the court for Stephen Breyer, but that doesn't change the real makeup of the court. No. 
ideologically. And so, you know, this this makeup of the court could go on for multiple years, multiple Supreme Court terms uh, moving forward. Um, Well, Catherine, let's get back into that issue um, about kind of separating this out because I think for a lot of folks – Maybe two two guys like Tim and I are about over fifty. Uh, you know, we look at the politics of it, but that's kind of a, a jaded place to be. Um, so let's kind of talk about you know what is this going to mean for women in the next um, you know how many ever months years until something can be changed. Well, for example, in um Mississippi and Alabama, those, these are states that I'm very familiar with. Right now, abortion is illegal. In Mississippi, they have um, laws like in Texas that um, don't allow for referrals or um, any materials about where you can get an abortion. All that material, you can't, we, there's no discussion of abortion with patients. And then it puts additional pressure on states where abortion is legal because patients could cross state borders and come into a state and um, try to get an abortion. And it's unclear right now. A lot of lawyers are evaluating the laws in various states to determine whether the legality of providing abortion services to a to a um, pregnant person from another state that has trigger laws, so there's a lot. So that's a lot. You know, you. I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine that in 2022, you are limited to crossing state borders to get medical care. I mean, that seems like pretty ridiculous, but um, it also. <laughs> So if you if you live in a state that doesn't that where abortion is illegal, so now you've got to figure out where you can go, the closest place or the easiest place. It might not be the closest place. If you have family in a state that's farther away, but they can help you, you can they can take care of your children, or they can you know put you up so that you don't have to pay for a hotel, and or they can help you with transportation, those kind of things. So you've got transportation, childcare time away from work, um, expenses while you're gone, uh, all those, you know, travel expenses and associated costs. And for most of the people that are affected by this, they, most, this is most, is going to affect most, most, the the hardest hit are going to be poor people, black and brown people, and people in rural America, where there's, very little health care to begin with, but then uh, a health center that offers abortion is going to be even further away. So uh, there's a lot of um, fundraising going on from organizations that are helping with um, these costs and this navigation through the system, but it's all very um, unclear right now exactly what, you know, exactly where they can go and what services can be provided to them. It's a very complicated uh, legal battle with physicians' licenses in the balance. And, of course, in the states where 
with these, you know, very draconian laws, their abortion providers are also under a lot of scrutiny. So uh, it's it's a very scary landscape, honestly. Yes, and I know that the a lot of the scenarios you're talking about are the majority, uh, if not our plurality of the cases. But in some states, risk to the life of the mother is not an exception. You may know the exact states. I think Oklahoma is one of them. Uh, from you know, uh, remembering you know who's passed what laws. But let's say someone goes to the emergency room. Something's not going right with the pregnancy. Somebody that you know really wants to have a child. They find out that the mother's, you know, life is at risk if they don't have what is most definitely a medical need abortion, and they live in one of these states where it's banned, and they're in the emergency room. You can't make a plan to travel to Illinois or, you know, Massachusetts or wherever. What's what's the kind of thinking around that, Catherine? Well, that's scary. I mean, it's... It's, it, it, it's um, I mean, if it's illegal, uh, doctors are, we can't expect doctors to put their, um, and doctors and hospitals to put their licenses on the line to take care of a patient, when, even if they think that it's the right thing to do, if it's illegal. I mean, it, it, it's a terrible situation. It's the, the people who wrote these laws don't know they're not professional medical professionals. They don't understand all the, you know, complications and I mean not even complications, just they don't understand pregnancy and you know how how they're not familiar with women's biological systems. They're not they're not experts. Um so and they aren't thinking about those circumstances. You know, they but you know, I mean Let's be honest. This isn't really about babies. This is about controlling women and, you know, not wanting women to, to, you know, have sex or be able to control their lives and their um, motherhood. Yeah, and I, I do think that there's, there's kind of a, a, a dual um, – situation going here i do think that there are those true believers that are that are all into this movement and then i think people like say mitch mcconnell that's using this situation just republican lawmakers in general they're just using the situation and they are looking to control and whatnot um catherine i sent you and tim um uh you know some twitter post that somebody had mentioned in the early 70s in iceland women had a you know mass strike I think in that case, 90% of women went on strike. I don't know how many days it lasted, but it resulted in more pay equity. Um, This is obviously not pay equity. This is a different issue. Um, In some ways, I think an issue that some women probably feel more strongly about. You could speak to that better. But has there been any talk that you've heard, wherever it is, um, about maybe organizing some kind of mass strike where all women don't show up at work just even one day just to show how important women are in our society. I haven't heard anything about that. Um, it's an interesting idea. I think it would be, you know, uh, Iceland is, a, you said Iceland. It was a pretty Iceland small country. It was in the 70s. It's been a while. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty small country. 
be pretty hard to pull that off in in uh, the United States. But I think there's a lot of very angry, very frustrated, not just women. I mean, we talk about this as if, as if it's only a women's issue, but it really isn't. It's a it's a an issue for everyone because it impacts families and um, workplaces and uh, it, it really impacts the whole country, the whole, not just women. And as a woman, I count on men to, to be um, supportive and uh, as outraged as I am about this because as we said earlier, they're coming, they came for us. They're going to go, they're going to go after contraception. They're going to go after um, marriage equality. They're going to go after uh, who knows what. Yes. Um, Now, Tim, there was something, well, actually I want to get your thoughts on that too, uh, because you probably more familiar with the labor movement than Catherine and I are in a personal way. Um, What is your thought on how effective uh, like a general strike would be, even if it was just a day, not indefinitely? Oh, it would be very effective if it would happen, but I don't believe it would. Uh, even the latest polling shows that one-third of adult women support the Supreme Court decision. Now, two-thirds of adult women do not support it, but one-third of adult women do support it, we're talking about 40 million women right there. Um, so we, we would never get a 90 percentile nationwide strike. Uh, uh, right. It, it just, it, it's, just, it's just not going to happen. The way to do this is what Tammy Duckworth said a few minutes ago. Man, we got to get out and vote. Mm-hmm. Get out and vote. Find the people that you're opposed to on this and vote them out of office. Then then it will change things, and that is the only thing, I believe, that will change this. You've got to get rid of the people that got us to this point in politics and replace them with people who will reverse it. It's that simple. We passed the major civil rights legislation in the 60s, guys, after the 1964 elections when we won in a massive landslide and had, you know, a filibuster-proof Senate, huge majorities in the House. We ain't got the numbers up there to do that right now, and we're going we're to have to get the numbers there to start reversing this sort of thing. And, and that's where we got to go. It's to the polls. Well, I, I think you're right that, you know, you have to vote, and you have to vote every single time. I, I think that's why Republicans got to be so effective so long-term is they voted in the boring elections. They voted in the off-year elections. Um, so, you know, I'm sure we're going to have so much political discussion on how this impacts races is in the coming weeks. And, Catherine, I know – You've got to you've got to go tonight, and we're so glad you could be on the first twenty minutes. So you're going to tag out with our guest. Um, but thanks again for both what you did tonight and all your good work this weekend and the coming weeks. Okay, we'll see you next week. Thank you.
All right. Um, so I kind of, uh, you know, segue to it a little bit. We'd like to welcome in our guest tonight to, for I don't know how many times Lachlan's been on the show, but from South Carolina, Mr. Lachlan McIntosh. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me back. Oh, glad to have you back. Always such great information on the Palmetto State. Um, well, uh, let's – usually I would start out with the, the campaigns and, and whatnot, but let's start kind of moving over from South Carolina from where we were. Uh, the ruling came out on Friday after mm-hmm. we had booked you to be on the show. Um, right. We know that you know South Carolina is a more conservative state, particularly the upcountry, uh, but it's a state that's, uh, I think, more college-educated than people realize for a southern state. So how do you think um, – this ruling will play in South Carolina. Yeah, that's right. You know, South Carolina is not uh, politically, it's not as red as Mississippi and Alabama. It's got growing. It's, it's like, it's like Georgia that it's trending the right way. It just, it, it's unlike Georgia in the fact that we don't have an Atlanta to base it on. You know, Savannah and Charleston are very similar um, uh, politically, but Charleston and Columbia are also very, or excuse me, Columbia and Atlanta are also very similar politically, except there's a population difference of millions. <laughs> um, so, yes, um, you know, I do think South Carolina is probably um, a 50-50, maybe slightly pro-choice state. Um, it, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any um, doubt, though, because of gerrymandering that abortion will be outlawed here. I think the only fight is going to be whether there is a uh, exception for rape, incest, uh, health of the mother, things like that. I think that's going to be the battle. So I think that you know, going into a, um, a mid-year election, which obviously is all the all the indicators are, have been to this point, they'll, it'll be very very bad for Democrats nationwide for you know, obvious you know, reasons with the inflation and whatnot, um, traditional historic reasons. But you know, you know, as bad as this ruling is, as upsetting as this ruling is, as we know, midterms are more about motivation than persuasion and uh you know i do believe that this is going to persuade a a lot of people to come out and vote um that weren't planning to vote um in particular in the suburbs of charleston columbia rock hill greenville um that those parts of the state and uh, you know we do have a governor's race and it will be interesting to see how that plays into it Yes. Now, you know, many years ago we had a on for the first time. You gave us the layout of South Carolina's politics, but I know South Carolina is growing, like you said, in Charleston, and I get the idea that's becoming more democratic. But that Bluffton area that sits kind of between um, Savannah mm-hmm. and Hilton Head, the Myrtle Beach area, and you mentioned Rock, suburban, but probably kind of exurban, Charlotte, those are all, all right. growing areas, and I get the idea that they're probably more Republican, if anything. You know, Rock Hill's probably the, like you mentioned, expert almost or Charlotte. It's definitely not as Republican as it used to be. Um, still very Republican. Um, you know, I would say the same in the Buford, uh, Bluffton area. Not as Republican as it used to be. Still pretty Republican. Now, Myrtle Beach is, is the opposite, right? Myrtle Beach is, uh, you know, Myrtle Beach and Charleston are both on the coast, and that's about where the similarities end. Uh, on a map, Myrtle Beach is up there near the North Carolina line. Charleston's almost in the middle of the state. The folks that are moving to Charleston are your college-educated folks who want to live in a nice city with lots of arts and culture and history. Um, and the folks that are moving to Myrtle Beach are 
know, retirees from the Midwest on a fixed income who uh, are angry and mad. And, uh, you know, Myrtle Beach is, is the one area. Myrtle Beach is now the most Republican part of South Carolina of any area with a sub- substantial population. It is much more uh, Republican than Greenville Spartanburg is now. So um, that's just kind of where we are. That's kind of what's happened. Um, but that said, the rest of the areas of the state that are growing in population are, are, are trending to some extent Democratic. Um, we're just now kind of hitting rock bottom in the rural areas. Um, so, uh, you know, again, I think that the, the future growth is going to be positive for Democrats, but it's slow, slow, slow. Nothing like nothing like what's happening in Georgia. Yes, I, I tell you what, I think if I, I went to Charleston about six months ago, Absolutely wonderful area, and the two uh, areas on each side of, of Charleston are wonderful. It's just the cost of living there is, is pretty high, but I think if people could find a place yeah. to live affordably, it would grow even faster because it's just such a nice, uh, you know, area of the country. Um, well, I want to ask you, you kind of said that, you know, people are not, you know, super up on the prospects in South Carolina, and, and I can kind of see why, and I want to go back to – nearly two years ago. Jamie Harrison, I think everybody thought he had a really good shot at winning that Senate seat because Lindsey Graham is just somebody that doesn't seem to, um, you know, have a lot of affection on either side of the aisle. And then Jamie Harrison seemed to be saying all the right things. And that campaign just kind of got away from Democrats right at the end. Was that, you can kind of tell us what you think happened, but then also is that kind of a demoralizing uh, kind of impact statewide on South Carolinians? I think it was demoralizing. I think that, uh, you know, for sure. Um, I, you know, we've got a great candidate for governor right now on Joe Cunningham, but we don't have much of a slate underneath that. Um, and uh, and that's troubling. And uh, a lot of the incumbents, um, Republican incumbents and statewide offices are unopposed, including Attorney General, including Secretary of State. Um, so that's not good, and I do think that that's part of it. I mean, Jamie had you know, as much money as you could possibly have, and we're right back to that 55-45 split, which has been the traditional split between Democrats and Republicans in South Carolina for many decades. Um, you know, we're not South Carolina. You think of South Carolina as a red red state, and, of course, it's reliably red, unfortunately, but it's not Wyoming red. It's not Idaho red. It's not 70-30. It's literally 55-45. And, uh, you know, every now and then a Democrat for governor will get 46, 47 or something like that. But, you know, we've been in that in that we've been stuck there. Now, um, I think I think the difference is, is it's not the same people. Right. Um, again, you know, when, when this split started, you know, Democrats were doing much worse in suburban areas and much better in rural areas. Um, so we're seeing this kind of change. Um, and, uh, you know, again, we're, you know, pretty rock bottom in the rural areas and building in the suburban areas. Charleston faster than the others, but the others are moving to some extent. So, you know, I do think, again, there's there's going to be some slow building, but it's just going to be very, very slow. Um, but, again, when you're 55-45 and not 70-30, you know, that allows for not much of a dynamic to change. One of the things that happened in 2020 is we saw it all over the country not just in South Carolina, the Democrats really got beat badly on the local level. Um, you know, there was a lot of resistance to some of the perception of our, our positions, in particular on police, and, uh, and, and Republican voters really, really, or, you know, low-frequency low voters really came out 
um, to support Trump and, and or, or other Republicans. So, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't really that unusual. What, ha- what happened in South Carolina with Jamie happened everywhere. So I want to make sure we point that out. Yes, uh, and you, you mentioned about policing and, and race. and th- I mean, and that, that looks to it and everything else. Um, our guest from two weeks ago, he posted something where these two people were, you know, a, a, um, protesting an abortion clinic, but – um, or healthcare clinic, you know, reproductive clinic, and um, right. th- two of them started shouting, um, "Black lives don't matter." And so it seems right. like a lot of times there's folks that just can make anything racial. Um, I, well, you know, we we've we've all we all grew up in the South. We know how these people are. I mean, they they could turn anything mm-hmm. into race because that's that's what it is. It's about their culture to them. They're you know they fight for their 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 place in society and, and, and obviously race and culture have so much to do with that. You're you're correct. Yeah, I, I just when you said that, I thought, well, those low frequency voters that 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 just brought me right back to Craig's uh, post earlier today that he shared. Um, well, I'm going to pass it over to Tim, who I've left everything for 2022. Tim never gets that um, broad of um, a range to ask questions from the get go, so I saved it for Jim. Oh, good evening, Lachlan. Thank you for good being evening. with us uh, tonight. Uh, Joe Cunningham, you mentioned great yeah. candidate. Yeah. He is advocating both term limits and age limits for office holders. That's not usually a position that you hear from Democratic candidates. So tell us a little bit about Joe Cunningham and uh if you were surprised that uh, he made this particular pronouncement. Well, I think one thing about Joe is, and by the way, you know, for background purposes, for folks that may not know, Joe is from Charleston. He was, the Congre- he, he was elected to Congress in 2018 as a Democrat, the first Democrat to hold the first congressional district since uh, 1980. And, uh, and then he got beat in, in 2020 by 1.3 percentage points, and partially because of the, of the turnout which surge we were just talking about. Did very well, finished ahead of Biden, which most Democrats didn't around the country. Um, he won the Democratic nomination uh, almost two weeks ago, overwhelmingly, um, against a, a state senator from Columbia. Um, you know, I, I will say this. You know, I'm not involved in that campaign in any kind of official capacity, obviously, in supporting him. Uh, I think that one of the things with, with Joe is is that he is going to take chances. He works hard. He, he um, Nobody works harder than he does. But he's not going to sit back and, and run a traditional campaign that Democrats have for governor recently and, you know, say that I'm really going to support the schools and I'm going to, you know, try to fix the roads and, uh, you know, I'm going to, you know, do whatever they, we talk about, expand Medicaid. You know, he's going to reach out and he's going to he's going to grab onto issues that are non-traditional. And he already has with uh, supporting the um, legalization of marijuana, um, sports betting. And uh, and this is just the, the this is just uh, another one. And I expect more. And it's going to make some people queasy and uncomfortable. Um, but, um, you know, I admire the guy for fighting and he is not mm-hmm. going to go down without a fight. And uh you know, I you know I, I've heard some set Democrats, and you know I just I just tell them I'm like, look, just uh, if you want to sit back and lose another election, then fine. You know that that, that let's just follow the <laughs> same path over and over and over. If that's what you'd like to do, and you know that's fine. Then guess what? We're gonna have, we're gonna abortion is going to be outlawed 
including rape and incest. You know, our best hope of having anything, any having these exceptions is a governor with a veto pen. And uh, the mm-hmm. governor's got a strong veto power in South Carolina. And, you know, mm-hmm. what I was mentioning earlier was, yeah, we've been stuck at 45. Yeah, we've been stuck at 46. But, you know, you don't have to. It's been it's impossible to do, but you don't have to move the needle that much to get 50. And Joe's going to do everything he possibly can to move that needle. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't agree with, with the age limits in particular, you know. I don't think term limits are what we need. I, I, I believe that redistricting reform is what would solve these problems more than anything. But, you know, I, you know, I, just because I don't agree with them, I'm not going to sit around and pout about it, you know. Mm. Uh, now, you have a runoff tomorrow. Is that correct? Oh, we have a runoff in the U.S. Senate race, correct? U.S. Senate race. Or Tuesday. Race. That's Tuesday. correct. Between, Tuesday. Yeah. between uh, Crystal Matthews and Catherine Fleming Bruce. What, what does that race look like? You know, that's a, you know, I, I, uh, they're, I think they're both great people. They're both fine people. I know, uh, I know Catherine, um, who's, who's just been a strong leader and advocate for many, many, many years. And, uh, and I, you know, it's not, you know, there's not going to be very many people vote. Unfortunately, Tim Scott is, you know, unlike Lindsey Graham, who always seems vulnerable, like was mentioned earlier, with not great poll numbers, Tim Scott, you know, has 60% approval and $19 million. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, unfortunately, I don't think either of these candidates have, you know, much of a chance to get any oxygen. Um, but uh, but they're both fine people, and I've actually already voted early. Um, I'm going to ask you about um, one more thing, then I'm going to throw it back to David, who will finish out the segment with some more questions. But um, in the first district, um, mm-hmm. you, you had a Republican race in which Donald Trump weighed in. Right. And uh, his candidate, um, Katie Arrington, did not win. She was defeated right. by, by Representative Mace. Um, is that a sign that perhaps Trump is losing a little bit of steam in the Republican Party in that state, or was something else driving that? Well, I, I think it's uh, you know I, I think it goes back to where the first district is. You know, Trump had a big win in the seventh district. He took out Tom Rice. The seventh district mm-hmm. is essentially Myrtle Beach, and I was just talking about the demographics of Myrtle Beach and how Trumpy it has become. It wasn't like that at all twenty, thirty years ago. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and Trump of course won and, and t- took Tom Rice out without even a runoff. But right in the first congressional district, um, you know, it is a, it's a different ball game. It's 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 essentially the suburbs of Charleston, part of the suburbs of Charleston, down the coast, and takes in Buford Hilton Head area, Boston mm-hmm. area, and it's it's Republican, but it's just not quite that kind of Republican. It's more like the Republicans we grew up with, um, and uh, and so no, it's not too surprising to me that they rejected Katie Harrington, and I do believe that there's you know with that type of Republican, college-educated Republicans, you know, people that are successful relatively successful i do believe there's definitely some trump fatigue i think they're tired of it and uh mm. i think that made that pretty clear uh, all right i thank you for that and i'm going to send it back to you david for some more questions yes uh tim was talking about the um 
congressional race in the primary, right. which was followed. But, uh, you know, y'all recruited uh, Dr. Annie Andrews, who seems to sure. be a really, really good candidate. Um, yeah. But it could be a more it, – it, actually, we don't know. I think we, we – you know, two months ago we said, yeah, these fundamentals aren't good, you know, good for Democrats right now. Of course, with everything that's gone on uh, with guns and with abortion, we just yeah. – it's going to be hard to tell at this moment. So what's your take yeah. on what Annie Andrews' chances well, are? Well, she is an outstanding candidate, and and uh, in so many ways, and she's a and she's a pediatrician over at the Children's Hospital at MUSC in Charleston. Um, she's just she's been dynamic on the stump. She's raised good money. You know, what you got to remember what the Republicans did though. Um, we talked about the history of that see Cunningham winning in eighteen, barely, barely losing in twenty. So of course they took a they, they in redistricting they gutted the district and. Uh, Essentially, what they did was they took Charleston and, and the Democratic suburbs of Charleston and put them in the sixth district, Jim Clyburn's district, and Jim Clyburn is Columbia. So, you know what they've what they've done is they've made the two biggest, the two of the three biggest cities in South Carolina, Charleston and Columbia, in the same district. Um, there is a lawsuit pending. There is some hope um, that we'll get some relief there um, for packing, but um, that won't be decided until after the election. That would be something that would happen next year. Um, so uh, this district has gone from a plus two or a plus three Republican lean to a plus ten or a plus twelve. Um, so you know they've rigged the system. They're very good at that. And uh, um, you know that said, I, I do think going back to what we were just talking about in this primary, this is I'm sure this is a pro-choice district, um, even though it's Republican. It's not a Trump district. Um, you know Nancy Mace, who won that primary against Katie Arrington, Trump's. Um, you know, handpicked candidate. She's better than Arrington, but she's really not that good at all. It doesn't really fit the district. It's too extreme for the district as it is. I, you know, I, the, 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 it's, it's stacked against uh, Dr. Andrews for sure. The district's stacked against her. Um, but if anybody can pull a surprise in this district, it's her. And uh, with the kind of campaign she's running and, uh, and certainly uh, with these issues, gun violence and abortion rights, uh, which, uh, you know, she's been very strong from the beginning on. So it's definitely, you know, it's not going to be a race that the DCCC is going to target. It's not going to be a race the national pundits talk about, but it's definitely a race I think that folks in this neck of the woods ought to keep an eye on. Yes, I think I happened to see her, about her candidacy several months ago, and she looks like an excellent recruit. It's just, you know, are the trends and the district fundamentals um, just too much to overcome. So hopefully, right. even if she were to lose this, she'd stay on the scene and and, and some opportunity would come up in the future. Well, well um, that's exactly that's others, exactly right. I was, yeah. yeah. I was just going to say well, that's exactly right. Other, and if we do get if we do get relief from the redistricting lawsuit, you know, we can actually have a special election for the first congressional district. So that again, more reason to keep an eye on that on that district. Hmm. Yes. Well, um, are there any other races or issues or anything else in South Carolina that we should keep our eye on? Yeah, definitely the governor's race um, and, the, and the first congressional district are the big ones. Um, one of the runoffs on the Republican side is superintendent of education. We've had a very moderate superintendent of education um, who's retiring, and there's kind of a battle on the Republican side between you know a, a traditional moderate Republican and then kind of a more extreme um, version of what we're seeing nationally as the right against you know, their, their attempts to 
change for the worse how, how you know pub, our public education system. So I think that uh, if if the right winger wins that primary, um, you might want to you might want to put that one on a list to look at too because the Democrats have a good solid candidate named Lisa Ellis, um, and that race could kind of be one to look at if uh, if if the uh, if the if the Republicans nominate the hard right winger. You know, we don't have Senate seats up this year. We have House seats up. We, we just were redistricted. Yeah, the Republicans drew yeah, three or four Democratic incumbents in the same district together. So, you know, we're going to lose seats um, in the House even more. Uh, we have a pickup opportunity, one in Columbia, one in Charleston, um, and, uh, and, you know, and some, and some good incumbents who are Democratic incumbents who are in some somewhat challenging races um, that we're keeping an eye on. But, uh, you know, I, I think you're going to see uh, maintain of the status quo, unfortunately. Yes, and something, I guess, that would affect both that school superintendent race and the um, governor's race and probably legislative races as well. I remember when I started teaching in the mid-'90s, um, a teacher that had taught just a short time in South Carolina came to the district I was in Georgia, told me about how they got 10 checks a year instead of 12, and the pay was far less than Georgia, and the you know, South Carolina's teacher pay was, you know, lacking, to, you know, but that's been over 25 years ago. Um, is yeah. teacher pay still an issue, or is it um, a little bit better for a southern state? You know, it's, a, it's gotten a little bit better, but it still lags behind states like Georgia. So uh, I definitely think that teacher pay is still an issue. Um, I, you know, I think the fundamental issues of inequity in South Carolina schools uh, are still a, are still a big issue. You know, I still think it, it's it's not an issue that unfortunately has gotten Democrats over the top in, in recent years, but I still think it's an it's an issue that, that that most voters in South Carolina would probably favor Democrats on for sure, for reasons that you just stated, like teacher pay. Yeah, I just Can remember that from a, you know quite a while back, but still I didn't know. And I knew Georgia was for a southern state in the cost of living, you know, is about as good as it gets. Um, although, hey. Right. When they want to give us a pay raise, I don't complain. And I will say this, in 2018, that was one of the few areas that I think both uh, Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp agreed on, that they both wanted to raise teacher pay, and I don't think you both complain in whichever side of the aisle they were if they talk. Right. And teachers got a very small raise. Uh, not good enough, but they got a very small raise this year, too, in South Carolina. Yes. Yeah. Well, I had alluded to guns before, and obviously um, Charleston – there was such a tragic shooting in a church, the you know, one of the places we'd expect to be safe in society, and, and you know, tragically, so many people were killed a few years ago. And I'll say this, you know, I went, came to Charleston pretty recently, and then even since then I went to Las Vegas. And I'll say this, I took a, tour, a bus tour, my wife and I took a bus tour of Charleston, and they mentioned what happened at the Emanuel uh, AME Church. But when right. I went on the, the Las Vegas bus tour, we drove right by that empty lot next to Tropicana, and they didn't mention a single thing about 53 people getting massacred. And I noticed yeah. that I guess the way it's looked at and handled and remembered is different. So I set that all up. So given that, you know, at least the Charleston area is not afraid to run from this horrific incident and remember it, how does that have the gun issue play in the state? Well, I think it's uh I think that it's similar um to other areas. I think that in the suburbs of Charleston that you know folks are are very 
open to and supportive of common sense gun regulations um, that you know have been outlined, some of which were in this bill the Senate passed, but others that we still need to go further, background checks, mental health. The Charleston loophole, for instance, was the only reason that Dylan Roof was able to get a gun. Um, you know, I, I think that in, in Charleston, you, you will find, and in, in, in Columbia, um, you will find uh, a lot of support for that. Um, but again, you know, when you when you go out to the rural parts of the state, you know, those folks, unfortunately, you know, are just they don't want to hear it. They they love their guns, and and they're afraid that someone's going to come take it away. And of course, we as a party have done such an awful job of messaging. Uh, on this issue and, and explaining what we believe and what we want to do and you know, combating the misinformation on it. that This is not a new thing that's been going on for 30 years. Um, that, you know, we're just not getting anywhere. So it's a, it's a, it's an issue, again, that it kind of fits in with what we've been talking about the whole show is, yes, with certain voters, the 1st Congressional District, Charleston voters, the guns can con, gun, common sense gun regulation is something very important, very popular. Statewide, it's not it's not going to be that way. It's not going to be a, a positive issue for Democrats in the governor's race. It could be a positive issue for Annie Andrews in the first congressional race. Yeah, I do. I do find it so vexing that um, you know conservatives that love guns will point to the Second Amendment, but they'll talk about like you know overthrowing the government and keeping the government <laughs> check. And to me. If I think of, like, what's the number one reason you need a gun, to me, it's the food supply goes completely south and things have gone off the rails, and you go need to go kill a deer so you can live to survive. And we never talk about, you know, okay, you have a right to have a gun so you could feed yourself. You have a right to have a gun so you can have this, you know, Shays Rebellion all over again. <laughs> it's not uh, even protect yourself anymore. Why it's defended. <laughs> What? All right, it's not even it's not even protect yourself anymore. It's not about hunting rights or protect self protection. It's about overthrowing the government. You're right. It's just a sign of the hmm. unfortunate times we're in. Yes, I just find that strange because you know, to me, you know, because no one is coming for someone's hunting rifle. I mean, that no right. one's coming for your 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 2020 that can hold two shells. Um, you know, unless you got shot at. You know, point blank range, you'd probably survive. Um, nobody's talking about nobody, that. They're talking about well, no, yeah, yeah, but nobody's talking about. I mean, I know that uh, I know Rourke has has backed off this. Nobody's talking about coming and get your guns at all. You know, I mean, we're talking, when you talk about an assault rifle, uh, assault weapons ban, we're talking about a ban on new sales. We're not going to go in and take away guns from law-abiding citizens that have already bought it. And you know that's just something that you know we have failed miserably to to to, to communicate. You know, and we shouldn't even call it a ban. We should call it a new sales ban or something like that. But you know, we're just Democrats aren't very good at communicating with people. We haven't been for a long, long time, and it's just getting worse. So something that unfortunately continues to to harm us and our and what we're trying to do. Yes. Well, Lachlan, we thank you for coming on the show tonight, and, and yeah. just before you leave us, if you've got anything you want to plug in particular, you know, where people can read about you on social media, or if you've been writing for a newspaper there locally, anything you want to plug, go ahead. Well, um, I you know, appreciate you all having me. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter, um, which, of course, now I can't remember my Twitter uh, handle. Um, I'm in the car, but I think it's a, at, at Macintosh, M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H. L-A-C-H-L-A-N. 
and uh, yeah, I, I get my rants out, you know, about some of the things we're talking about tonight. So uh, if you'd like to hear more, follow me there, and uh, just you know, again, I would encourage everyone to watch the governor's race in South Carolina. It's not going to in the congress first congressional district. It's not going to be, you know, what the pundits are talking about. But keep an eye out, and uh, and hopefully we'll be able to surprise some people. Yes, sir. We'll be watching that race, uh, you know, the congressional race, the governor's race, and even that school superintendent race that you have coming up. Yep, definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, that was Lachlan McIntosh. Thanks again for Lachlan. Thank you, sir. For coming on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Well, Tim, we got a few more minutes. And, um, you know, now that we've had the, the kind of the break from – of course, our first topic with this, you know, catastrophic and historic, I guess, in both ways, um, ruling from the Supreme Court. We've talked to Lachlan about the um, – we've talked to him about the, um, you know, Palmetto State, Combe to Georgia. Real quickly, um, the, there were what, four runoffs on the Democratic side, no um, statewide runoffs on the Republican side. Uh, turnout was very, very low. And um, I guess Stacey Abrams endorsed in three races, and in the three races she endorsed, um, those candidates won every single one of them. And then in the other race, I guess she didn't endorse in the insurance commissioner's race, and Janet Laws Robinson – or Janice Laws Robinson won. Um, I may have mixed those last two names up, but um, help me out if I did. But what was your take on the um, results? Well, um, B, B. Wynn um, won big, man. I mean, like, better than three to one. I was surprised at the, um, I guess, amount by which she won. I, I figured she would win, but I was surprised at the amount. My my favorite thing, though, did not happen in with the Democrats. You know what my favorite thing was, and that was over there in the 10th District, where our uh, good friend of the kudzu vine, Vernon Jones, was uh, handily defeated by Mike Collins, um, about three to one himself. And I'm wondering if that is the end in electoral politics for Vernon Jones. I don't see where he goes after this. Do you? I'll tell you what I think he does, and I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I think he ends up running for a local race in DeKalb County. I mean, it could be a state house, could be a state senate seat, but he'll run again. He'll run as a Democrat. He'll try to (laughs) snooker people and say, oh, they'll just know the Vernon Jones name. They won't know all the nonsense. Because it'll be, especially if it was like a, a special election, he could weasel into that got no attention, and he hopes people uh, recognize the name Vernon Jones and somehow wins. Um, the, I think that's but, his probably his only how, play if he wants to get back in electoral uh, office. Now he could, uh, you know, could, could you know go on the circuit with the pillow guy and um, you know some of those shady lawyers that tried to promote the. Um, QAnon vote steal conspiracies, and he he could kind of get in a tour full of those that crowd. And if there was enough speaker yeah. fees, you know, do something there. That that uh-huh. that's a political play, but not an electoral office play. 
Yes, that's what I think he's going to do. I think he's going to try to use his notoriety as, you know, a, a party switcher African-American who supported Donald Trump and, you know, who did what Donald Trump asked him to do, and he was a good trooper and dropped, uh, you know, out of one race and into another race uh, at the behest of Donald Trump. Uh, and his folks, and I think he's going to try to use that to, uh, you know, maybe become a speaker on the circuit forum or, or get on television with it or something like that. Even at the local level in DeKalb County, I don't see how people could not have heard about Vernon Jones, who supported loudly Donald Trump. I, I just don't see how. Plus, he goes back a long way in that county. Most everybody in that county knows who he is. So the idea of him sneaking uh, under the radar back in there and, 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 and trying to switch back to the Democratic Party and trying to explain away uh, what all he just did and said, I, I just don't see that happening for him. Uh We'll watch him, David, and if you turn out to be right, I am certainly going to give you the credit for it because that would be quite a thing to see his electoral prospects reborn uh, after all of this. Well, I'll say this. I'm I'm, I'm counting on the fact that he would be thinking that the the voters in whatever district – are you know low information voters and won't remember and they'll just be throw out yard signs and you know just hope your name on the ballot gets people to vote for you because they've heard of you. I mean, if people the the high informed voters that are true Democrats are not going to fall for his scam, and, and I think if he did yeah. try, I think you know a lot of Democratic uh, folks would support whoever was running that race against him to try to stop him. As well, so mm-hmm. I mean that's a very. It probably was something that might have worked, you know, twenty years ago, ten years ago, and it may not work today anyway. But that that's the the scam he may try. Um, I just mm-hmm. like to be in the room well, when he tells Michael and Dale he'd like to join in with him on a silk sheet line uh, um, <laughs> that he's got an idea. Because um, well, you know, but but I, let's get back into that tenth congressional race. Um, the craziest thing is. You know, Mike Collins, I bet you and I don't agree with much that Mike Collins says and stands for. But honestly, you uh-huh. an upgrade over Jody Heiss and certainly Vernon Jones as well. Uh, yeah, and it, and if he's anything like his father before him was, I mean, he'll, you know, be very conservative, but he's not going to embarrass the people of the district. He's going to be a rock rib Republican, and, you know, that's where he's going to be, and we might actually get his vote every once once in a while on something and and best of all he won't be Vernon Jones he won't be another person up there just saying crazy things embarrassing the whole state of Georgia because frankly we have enough of that to go around in Georgia right now so uh yeah yeah that is a huge upgrade from from Jody Heiss who who also seems to be uh <laughs> on the outs right now and is probably wishing he had remained in his congressional seat. Um, 
so that that that's where we are. And I think the people of the tenth district are going to be thankful that uh, you know Mike Collins uh, is going to be their congressman. Yeah, it, it was an interesting result. Um, but let's get back into the statewide races. Um, you know, I, I agree with you. B. Win. She almost won in the original race, and she just. That was a very, very one-sided race. I, honestly, if you said I could okay. have only voted for in one of those races, I, I might have picked the Secretary of State's race because I think she is such an up-and-comer. I think if she manages uh-huh. to win this race, or there could even be scenarios in which she loses, and she's still a face for the future in, in the Democratic Party um, for higher offices. I mean, it, it, it's a certain way she'd have to lose, or she loses like Roy Barnes did, and then goes back to the state house or senate. I know that I'm projecting forward, but I'm just saying she has yep. a bright star for the future. Um, Charlie Bailey, he won for lieutenant governor. Um, the only race where I didn't vote for the winner of the four, um, uh, and I'm, I'm, the name is escaping me uh, for who did win that labor. Oh, William Bodie won for labor commissioner. I will sell the live vote for Nicole Horn. Um, I, I don't uh-huh. think it's a bad thing, and I just think she sent out some kind of emails or something that she's going to, I guess, stay around in some manner anyway. Um, but those are the nominees. Um, is that just um, – what's your thought on just the whole collection? Well, I think it's a pretty good uh, grouping of people. Um, I believe that uh, Stacey Abrams would be very happy with it. Um Charlie Bailey, as a matter of fact, only he he works about. Uh, uh, of course, he does a lot of his work in 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 Atlanta, but he's employed uh, by you know a local law firm of of uh, note that's that's only about ten miles from my house down here. Uh, so I've, I've met him before, and he's a he's 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 a good fella, and and he actually reversed things. You know, he he uh, he got sixty. See, 63.1% of the vote in this thing. He did very well. Uh, I wonder if Stacey Abrams' uh, endorsement meant that much. What do you think about that? I think it helps some, but then also, you know, he's listed first on the ballot. He had kind of a, a generic name, which sounds like I probably know that person. Um you know, so I think he had some other things working for him that probably even got him a little higher uh, than, than he might have been otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so so we'll see. And that low turnout election probably really did result in high informed voters, the kind of voters that are probably thinking, well, if Stacey Abrams could pick, since Lieutenant Governor's kind of like uh, Vice President, even though they are a different way because Lieutenant Governor's far more tied into the state senate than the vice president is even with the senate um you know they probably said you know charlie bailey may fit a little better as a ticket for whatever reason so you may have gotten some of that as well we got just a minute Mm -hmm. more tim and um i know we can't begin to cover it but you know what he'll make us some more news herschel walker had three controversies this week um, we found out about at least three, maybe four, secret children, um, which the biggest thing there is because he's been talking so much about, you know, single fa- single uh, families with no father and how detrimental that is. And we find out that he has, you know, three or four more of those because um, I guess he has the one family where the 
his son Christian and others. He's actually in the home. He also said that the uh, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are like having split personalities. Um, I, get, I don't know if you have to have a divinity degree to fully understand that one. Um, and then I feel like I'm going to forget one of these. If I keep going, he said there were 52 states. Actually, he said they, that Stacey Abrams could go live in one of the 51 other states, which uh, means there's 52 states in, in Herschel's America. Um, you got a minute or so. Um, what's your thoughts on, you know, the week that was Herschel Walker? Yeah, well, you, you know, the, the, the thing with the uh, – the, you know, he spent a lot of time talking about individual choices, and he's talked about before black men who who make fatherless homes because they abandon their children. Well, we find out now that he has a 10-year-old son and a 13-year-old son and a grown daughter. You know, they just they just keep coming out, and he apparently has had nothing in the past to do with any of them. Now, he spoke right after this news broke at the Faith and Freedom Conference up there in Nashville, where Trump also spoke. And here's what he said. I'm tired of people misleading the American people, and I'm tired of people misleading my family. Do you have any idea what any of that means in relation to these children? I mean, at all. Do you have any idea of what, what that means? He's just, uh, you know, he's just trying to put on one face, and maybe his preppers in his campaign didn't know about the secret children, so they're prepping, you know, one line of thinking. I think his son Christian is very influential in in some of his stuff, and Christian may not have known his half brothers and sisters. He keeps saying Um, things. He keeps saying things that don't make any sense. He, he he keeps saying things that totally make no sense, and that totally made no sense. Oh yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of like the you know the strengths and weaknesses when you know a player comes uh-huh. out in the draft. Herschel, you know, Herschel can catch out of the backfield. He can run. He's got open field speed. He's got a nice smile. In small doses, he's a friendly guy, but he absolutely has no understanding of policy. Um, he's completely inconsistent. Away from the spotlight, he has this personal life that has so many issues, um, you know, issues that are still issues in 2022 and will probably be still issues in 2020, 2042. I mean, not things that are going away. It's just a mess. And um, I, I just – the Republicans have to be saying why didn't we recruit someone else? You know, why didn't we get Chris Carr, Jeff Duncan to run for this seat? Why didn't we just nominate Latham Sadler um, or some one mm-hmm. of the other candidates? I, I think Gary Black is nothing special. I think by far Latham Sadler was, um, you know, the best candidate, not primary, that actually could, you know, chain a few sentences together with some coherent thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they didn't do that. And they've taken this race, which – may still be close, but they've made it so, so difficult. And now, you know, Brian Kemp has said he's he's agreed to at least two debates with Stacey Abrams. That, I think, forces Herschel to have two debates or more with Raphael Warnock. Those are just disasters waiting to happen unless he somehow, you know, gets enough media training to save himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, um, I'm sure we'll talk more and more about Herschel in the coming weeks um, and other, you know, races as well. But thanks again to Lachlan McIntosh. And until next week, Ben McCudsey, Vine. Good night, everybody. Night. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united.